Now, therefore, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the, the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to study your word. We pray that you would use it in our midst. Pray that you would help us to believe you and to be strong and courageous. Perhaps we have been uh, fearful to obey something that you've called us to. Pray you would use your word to strengthen us today, to follow through. Thank you for the opportunity to study this text and our language. We're always mindful that there are plenty in our world who still don't have this privilege. We pray that you would call out laborers to go and to immerse themselves with different people groups so that all may hold your word, know it rightly, know you rightly. Pray for David and Melissa Smith with the Wycliffe translators. Thank you for their work. Thank you that we'll see them soon on furlough. Thank you for their obedience four years ago to leave Tupelo and to go to help the people of Papua New Guinea be able to know your word. Father, this morning, uh, pray for one of our members, Casey Hughes, who's preaching in view of a call at Friendship Baptist for a bivocational position there. Father, would you grant Casey, Tina, wisdom, as well as that committee. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to come alongside them for a season, and we pray that uh, you would order their steps, either confirming for, for both parties there today, and then all of it, Father, that you would be pleased. We continue to pray for uh, James Underwood's mother and her cancer treatment, stepfather and the stroke, and just that you would give James the strength he needs to care for his family, for the Edwards family. We pray for as they walk through a difficult situation of hospice. Father, we pray for the situations that we've not made public, but we've brought into this room. Would your grace meet us in each of those? Strengthen us, encourage us. Perhaps even today, correct us, reprove us. That in the end, you might further conform us to the image of Jesus. Thus being for our good, and obviously for your glory. Father, I pray now as your word goes forth in our city, would you allow your word to be preached rightly? Would you allow your word to be heard receptively? And Father, would you allow your word to change us? So in our congregation and in our sister churches, may the gospel be clear and effectual. It's in your name we pray for. Amen. If it's your first Sunday with us, we've been walking through the book of Mark. We started that last August, but we finished that last Sunday with Easter and Mark 16. And we even spent a little extra time on verses 9 through 20 this past Wednesday night uh, to talk about why we did not uh, preach those actually last Sunday. Our next lengthy book study is actually going to be in Ecclesiastes. Should the Lord give us two weeks from now, 
we're going to start that Sunday and it'll run from the last part of April all the way through to the first Sunday in September. And an administrative note, if you didn't get the email with the tentative uh, preaching plan, then let us know. We've changed our email delivery system, so some of you may not be getting those. And if you didn't get the one that has the preaching plan for the spring and summer, if you would just email Mitchell and let him know, hey, I didn't get that, then we'll make sure that your email address is added correctly in uh, our system. We're going to Ecclesiastes because our last journeys in the Old Testament, we've covered a book of the law, we've covered a history book, we've covered minor prophets, major prophets, and so now we're coming back to a wisdom book. And, uh, and so we're going to be in Ecclesiastes. But before we jump in that, because we were in a lengthy series, and we'll be in another one, we want to take just a moment uh, to sort of breathe. And for two weeks, we're going to be here in Joshua. We're going to do bookends of Joshua's commissioning and his conclusion of his ministry. Today, Joshua 1, and then should the Lord give us next Sunday, we'll be in Joshua 24. And we want to consider some aspects of, of what the Lord was asking him to do and knowing that there's great application for our own lives. Uh, with that being said, let's jump into Joshua 1. Life is full of choices. Uh, more accurately, each day is full of choices. A recent study from Columbia University found that we're bogged down by more than 70 decisions a day. Researchers at Cornell, however, I don't know if it was Andy Bernard or not, but researchers at Cornell uh, found that people, may, <laughs> an old Nard dog, found that people uh, make an average of 226 daily decisions about food. So Cornell says, Columbia, you're way too low. People make over 200 decisions about food. I know that I think through a million things when it comes to food myself. Where do I want to go? What do I want to have? No, I don't want that. And then after you get it, oh, I knew I should have gone with the other one. You know, these sorts of things. My favorite that I, I saw in my research was, according to multiple sources on the internet, it sounds credible, right? <laughs> it sounds like this is legit. It says the average amount of remotely conscious decisions adult makes each day equals about 35,000, right? So that's kind of the same ballpark, 70, 220, 30,000, right? In contrast, young children only make about 3,000 decisions each day. But you've already made a ton of decisions. How many chose to brush your teeth this morning? How many of you sitting close to them are grateful they made that decision? You made a decision which toothpaste to use, which hand to hold it in, which, which faucet to turn on for your water, whether it was cold or hot. You made a decision to make sure it was cleaned up after you got through with it, right? That's a blessing for those who share that sink with you. <clears throat> Anybody who might be in the room, small children in particular, how many of you chose what you're wearing this morning? All right. How many of you had someone else choose what you're wearing this morning? Oh, my mom. All right. La la. How many of you changed what you were wearing at least one time? All right. And if you have small children, sometimes you can be fully dressed and then they decide to share breakfast with you again. And you're like, okay, we've got to change. You can't wear breakfast to church either many decisions. Not all the decisions are light and fluffy, such as cinnamon toast or Reese's Puffs. Sometimes uh, they're a lot more difficult. For instance, will I choose to forgive someone who's wounded me deeply? That's a difficult decision at times. Will I choose to obey Jesus even if no one else joins me or supports me? Will I choose to let go of a sin that I've pursued for years? Mitch prayed that even in our confession time that we would, we would do so. Will I choose to share what the Bible says with my friend, even though they may reject me for doing so? Am I going to decide to do this? Each day, there's an extremely important decision we each have to choose. Will I choose to believe God and obey, or will I choose to disbelieve God and disobey? So each day, we, we make this choice and all through the day. Will I choose to believe God and obey, or will I choose to disbelieve God and disobey? Because in the end, all of our disobedience and obedience, they're all a choice. The world may tempt us, the flesh may tempt us, the devil may tempt us, but in the end, the world, the flesh, and the devil cannot make us choose disobedience. We choose that disobedience. And so it is a sin. So conversely then, every obedience is a choice as we choose to run to God and run from whatever it is that's tempting us. When you think back through your lives, I wonder, is there a choice of disobedience that you made that if you could change it, you would? I mean, I think about some from last week. Much less as I think back to the years. Are there moments of disobedience? Yes, I would, I would actually change every one of them. If I could go back, 
and change those, I would. If I could go back and tell myself, don't believe the lie that this sin is okay. Don't believe that a single decision is for the good of you or your family or your faith family. Or maybe I would even simply just remind myself, God's with you and God's for you. Run to him. Flee to him in this moment. I wonder as we come to Joshua 1 then, is there anything you believe the Lord has wanted you to do and instead of choosing to courageously obey, you've chosen fear and disobedience instead? Paul, in his last conversation with the elders from Ephesus, twice he tells them, I didn't shrink back from giving you the truth. I didn't shrink back from proclaiming the whole word. And I wonder if at times we're those who are shrinking back in obedience. And that's not going to be for the good of our city. That's not going to be for the good of the gospel advancing in us. Certainly not going to be for the good of the gospel advancing through us if we are those who are shrinking back, if we're fearful. We're choosing fear and disobedience and disbelief. And so my prayer is that God will use this text to strengthen us to believe. In our text today, there are going to be three primary people that you will see. Moses, God, and Joshua. Moses and God have made their choices already as we encounter this text. But Joshua is being presented with an opportunity to make a very important decision. And the main question will be, will Joshua choose to believe God and obey the commands he's given? Or will he, like Moses, disbelieve and disobey and ultimately his decision be to his detriment? Because all disbelief and disobedience is to our detriment. What will we choose? Every day we have the same opportunities to obey or disobey. What will we also see in our text is that God doesn't expect us to be faithful based on just our own fervor. God is not asking you to rev up courage from within you. He wants our faithfulness not to be based on our own fervor, but on some very important facts that we'll see here in our text, which leads us to our passage in the sentence, which is at the top of your notes. Then as we consider God's plan, presence, and promises, he will provide all the courage and strength we need to obey his commands. As we consider his plan, presence, and promises, he will provide all the courage and strength we need to obey his commands. Several truths from Joshua 1, 1 through 9. The first one is this. Our sinful choices are disobedience fueled by disbelief. Look at how Joshua, the book, begins. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. This book begins by letting you know that Moses is dead. This book does not begin, though, by telling you why Moses is dead. In order to see that, you need to turn back to Numbers chapter 20. So hold your place in Joshua and turn back to Numbers chapter 20. Now, that would be an interesting book to do a series through, wouldn't it? I mean, there are incredible verses in that book, like 65,000 sheep. Mm. It just moves my soul, you know? It's a very... Or, or there's one that's like so many thousand cattle. And I always say that it's real moving, you know? <laughs> so Book of Numbers, one of my favorite texts, is actually Numbers 25. But we're going to be in, in Numbers chapter 20. Moses makes it to the promised land twice. Did you know that? The first time he is not allowed in because of the disobedience of the people that he was shepherding. The second time he's not allowed in is because of his own disobedience. And here's where it went down. In Numbers chapter 20, beginning in verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out of Egypt? Because it was awesome. Why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. There's no greater blessing for a leader than grumbling people who exaggerate as well. And, and it's probably why the author of Hebrews says, hey, uh, obey your leaders, follow them. They're going to give account to the Lord. Don't make it a, a difficult for them, right? Moses and Aaron know all about difficult. It was every day that this assembly was going to grumble against them and assemble against them. And so it says in verse 6, Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock 
And he said to them, now let me just ask, how many of you have ever seen water come right out of a rock in which water was not already coming out of the rock? Anyone? Any of you ever tried to call water out of a rock? Like, Here, water, water. Here, rock, give forth thy water. You ever tried? I've not done it. But it's what God is asking Moses to do. Gather the people around a rock because they're going to be like, well, this makes sense. All right? And tell that big old rock to let go of all the water. So Moses gathers them. And I love how he starts. Here now, you rebels. That's a good intro to a sermon. All right? We should probably start that every week for us, right? Here now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Now, that's not what God told him to do, right? What did God tell him to do? To call it out, right? To call it out. But instead, he uses his staff. He's like, he knocks it twice. He takes his staff, knocks it twice. And water came out abundantly. I want to say to you that that very next phrase is just the grace of God. It's just the grace of God. Because Moses has not done what God said, but God's grace is still, he's going to provide water for his people. And it says it came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, see there, that, that's the issue, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. The psalmist in Psalm 95 will pick up this story, and he'll say, don't be like them. Don't be like a generation that God loathed as they did in the days at Meribah, where they put the Lord to the test. Uh, Numbers doesn't record for you, but Deuteronomy 32 echoes uh, this, this discipline. Deuteronomy 32 verse 51 says, Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. So in case it's been a while, here, here's why Moses didn't go into the promised land. And the question is, why did he tap the rock twice rather than call the water out? Maybe, you know, we would explain the way he was distracted. He was frustrated with them. There's a whole host of things. But the bottom line is God has already told us why Moses didn't do it. He told you there in the text, because you did not believe in me. Because you did not believe in me. That's why Moses tapped it twice with the staff instead of just calling it out. You did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. And in Deuteronomy 32, the verse I referenced for you there, Deuteronomy 32, 51, because you broke faith with me. I would submit to you that where there is absence of faith, there's presence of fear. Where there's absence of faith, there's presence of fear. And most often, uh, our fear of man is greater than our fear of God. And perhaps Moses tapped the rock because they were already complaining. They're already grumbling. So he wanted to make sure. The Lord had certainly used that staff to do all kinds of miracles in the past. Maybe he just wanted to make double sure that water was going to come out. And Moses felt like he needed to add something to that. The bottom line is God calls Moses' decision disbelief. You didn't trust me. And often disbelief leads to disobedience. In our lives... Disbelief often leads to disobedience. He didn't believe God. So instead of calling the water to come out, he struck it. And, and, and in it, whether he thought he had to add something or not, God's commands do not need anything added or taken from them. They don't need anything added or taken to them. And it's no different for us. I don't know what you would label your sin from this past week, but God would label it the same. It's all disbelief. It's disbelief. We don't believe that, that what God says is best is actually best. We don't believe obedience will be fully satisfying. We don't believe obedience provides full joy. The root then of all of our disobedience is disbelief. We don't trust God. We don't take him at his word. Well, we think we need to add something or supplement something to it, which Moses did. And then the problem is disobedience fueled by disbelief often leads to discipline. Going back to Joshua 1 now, Moses' choice or his decision cost him interest in entrance into the promised land. How many of you say, that's a pretty, pretty, that's a pretty big discipline, right? He's been, especially after he walked 40 years in the wilderness with all those yahoos, right? He walked with their parents, who were sorry, the whole way, grumbling and complaining, and now he's stuck with them and gets two groups there, and then because of none of theirs, now because of his own disobedience, he's being disciplined by not being allowed to enter the promised land. 
all of our choices have consequences, both our good choices and our bad choices. They all have consequences. But what you need to know, our choice will not stop God's plan, but it may cost us participation in it. God still planned to take his people into the promised land, and he did that and was going to do it. It just cost Moses the opportunity to be the one who was leading it. And so in our lives, my guess is you and I have experienced that already too. There have been times where our disobedience has cost us participation in something that God was doing or wanted to do with our lives. We say often here, my sin, but our, our consequences. And it may be my sin, but it's always our consequences. And so now as you pick up in Joshua, the people have a new leader. And you're going to see in a few chapters later, Achan's sin is going to affect all of the Israelites. And maybe some of you are dealing with consequences of your own disbelief and disobedience. Maybe you're walking through the... the consequences of that i want to i want to say uh, a word to us one if you've not confessed your sin i I heard you to do so even now to the lord but two if you've confessed your sin and he's cleansed you of that then why does he leave the consequences well i want to remind you of what I, i shared with you when we walked through david and his sin the consequences are not the punishment god's wrath is punishment that's the ultimate punishment and jesus has taken that But though the consequences are not the full punishment, it doesn't mean they can't be painful. And the reason sometimes God leaves us in the painful consequences, though we've confessed and been cleansed, is because he wants to remind us of two things. How foolish sin is. And two, go to him. Go to him. Run to him. That sin is foolish. So sometimes he leaves us in these consequences. This is an important word of warning for us. If you're in Joshua 1, turn back one page to Deuteronomy 34. The last chapter of Deuteronomy 34. I want you to see how Moses is described in verses 10 through 12. It says this in verse 10. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And what I want to say to you is if this guy disbelieved and disobeyed, certainly we're susceptible to it. If David, the guy who wrote praise songs to the Lord, disobeyed and covered up sin, certainly we are susceptible to the, t- to the same temptations. And so we, we want to see and we want to learn. Paul says that we have these examples that we may learn from them and not repeat them. And here's Moses, who is an incredible man of God. And yet in one moment, he didn't believe, he didn't trust. And the cost of that was being disciplined, not being allowed to enter into the promised land. And like Moses, we often disbelieve God and choose disobedience, thinking we know a better way. And like Moses, our sinful choices failed to display God's holiness to others. Don't miss that. In both instances, when he says, you didn't believe me, you didn't trust me, he also says, to uphold my holiness in front of them. To uphold my holiness. All of our sin fails to display the holiness of God. And it's a big deal, which gets us to our second truth from Joshua 1. We'll make it past the first phrases of verse 1 now. They began after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I'm giving them to the people of Israel. Second truth I want you to see from this text is that all of God's choices are right and good, and so are his commands. God has every right to discipline Moses in the way that he chose. Some of you may be thinking right now, poor Moses. God was too harsh on him, and he should have let him in the promised land. And if that's what you're thinking, I would say to you that you have too low of a view toward God's holiness and our sin. If you, if you think that every sin is a big deal, and God has the right to deal with it as he sees fit. But on another note, I would say this to you. I'm pretty sure when Moses closed his eyes looking at the promised land and opened them to look at the promise maker, he probably wasn't too disappointed. Probably wasn't too disappointed. Second, God has every right to choose whom whom he will to carry out his plans. That includes you. It includes you. He is sovereign over all. And so if he wants to use you to reach someone specifically, he has every right to include you in that assignment, right? 
So he chooses Joshua to be the leader. And he says to Joshua, arise and go. And then he's going to say three times, verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. And then verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do you think God repeated himself because he's old? I mean, he is known as the ancient of days, right? So maybe, maybe he's like, if I hadn't said it to you, let me say it now. Be strong and courageous. Hey, did I tell you? Be strong and courageous. Do you think that's the lens God is doing? No. God does not repeat himself out of ignorance, but out of intentionality. There is a reason that he tells Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. There's no doubt Joshua might have been prone to not want to do that because look at what happened to Moses. He had to deal with these guys, his whole ministry, and now he's dead. I don't know if I want to leave them. And to cross the Jordan River, there's no bridge. How are we going to do that? And what's waiting for us? Oh, big armies. Okay, yeah. I was just praying in my quiet time this morning. God, if you'd make me leader, that'd be awesome, right? Oh, there's a reason that God is telling him, be strong and courageous three times. He's going to tell him, do all that's in the word. Don't turn from it. Do not let it depart from your mouth. And then do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. I want you not to miss. God is commanding Joshua to be courageous and also to be fearless. So you would say, is it a command? Well, yes. You can see by the way they're written in the text. But just look at verse, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? God tells you himself. You don't even have to know Hebrew to know the language, the, the phrases, the way they're written. God just tells you right there. I'm literally commanding you, be courageous don't be afraid. And he, he gives four there together. Be strong, courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. So Joshua now has a choice. Will he obey God and accept the responsibility? Or will he disobey God? Specifically, will Joshua obey God's command to be strong and courageous? Or will he choose to disobey and fear? Fear often drives disobedience in our lives. But faith fuels obedience. One more time. Fear often drives disobedience. But faith fuels obedience. Now, what does God mean by being strong and courageous? I won't make you turn there, but let me just read these two verses for you. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then Colossians 1.11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So when he's telling Joshua, be strong and courageous, he doesn't mean just rev it up in you, boy. He's going to tell him, be strong in me. Be strong in my might. And I've put a quote there for you from Piper that I think is really helpful. Some of the most difficult texts in the Bible are God's commands for us to feel or not feel. For instance, in Romans 12, we're called to love one another. We're called to, to have some, some feelings, to have affections toward each other. Love one another with a brotherly affection, it says. So for those people who say, well, I love them, but I don't like them. God says, you actually are supposed to like them. Too. So God has every right not to call us to just actions, but affections and feelings that go along with this. And so he says in the Bible, God's commands for us to feel or not feel certain things. Joy, love, anger, contentment, more. Fortunately, the Bible doesn't give us commands to feel without truth to awaken those feelings. And that's where we move into the final part of this study in Joshua. God intends for our faith and obedience to be fueled by facts. How is it then that we can be strong and courageous in the Lord? rather than choosing fear and disobedience. First of all, courage is fueled when we participate in God's plan. Though human instruments come and go, God never leaves the work site. God carries on his, his plan. I love what Crawford Loritz says. He says, as for Moses, a man of God had died, but nothing of God had died. He gave Joshua the assignment. He reiterated to Joshua what he told Moses to do. God isn't needy of worthy men. He makes men worthy. Therefore, we shouldn't fear the loss of any of his human instruments God isn't fearful of his calls failing. If I were to have a heart attack before I leave this pulpit, Trace Crossing will carry on. The only one who's indispensable is Christ. And so God has a plan that he's accomplishing. And so now Joshua gets to be a part of that plan. He has an, an assignment and the plan hasn't changed. An important distinction is courage rests upon a clear assignment from God. God isn't asking us just to be courageous for courageous sake. We are courageous in order to do something for God, in order to advance his plan. He's not just asking us to walk around the backyard, but I'm courageous. Look how brave I am. 
I am bravery, right? But to be brave for something. And Joshua was given that assignment. Joshua, here's the courage. Take them in the promised land. Here's the assignment. Here's the plan. I promised them I would do this. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it through you. So be bold. Here's the plan. It's, it's going to succeed. We've been given an assignment as well. Ephesians 2.10 says that God prepared works for us to walk in before the foundation of the world. So walk in them is what Paul writes in Ephesians. And then Matthew 28, you can't get any clearer command than the one who says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Here's the command. We have an assignment as well. How many of you found courage is needed to make disciples? Courage is needed for the advancement of the gospel. We have to have courage. Jesus warned his own disciples because they're going to deliver you to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Where did he tell them to make disciples? Of all what? But he also told them, and all nations are going to hate you. So the gospel isn't going to advance very far if we're scared to death to advance it. Courage is also needed, not just outside the church, but inside the church. I mentioned Paul earlier in his last talk to those leaders at Ephesus. He said, when I leave, wolves are going to come in. And they're not going to spare the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So therefore, true evangelism, true discipleship, true teaching, it takes courage. Running from resistance dishonors Christ. There's nothing more dishonoring to Jesus than when we run from resistance. And there is a kind of cowardice that tells only the truths that are safe to tell. When you don't enter Jesus in that conversation because you know you're cool with God and they're cool with God, but if you drop Jesus on it, it's going to change it. It's true cowardice that just stays at the level that we all agree upon. The truths that are safe to tell. The truths that won't get you fired or won't end this relationship. The gospel's not going to advance very far through people who are afraid to share it. The gospel's not going to advance very far through people who don't want resistance in making disciples. We've been given an assignment and no less courage is needed in our day. Be strong. Here's the plan. And what you need to know, if you need to know, hey, is there going to be success? Just look at Revelation 7. One day, people from every tribe and language and tongue are going to be gathered around the throne. There will be success in this plan. So let us take courage and let us go then. Courage is also then fueled not just when we participate in his plan, but when we experience his presence. Courage rests upon the assurance of God's presence. Here's what God tells Joshua in verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I will not leave you or forsake you. And then he says in verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Look back in verse 6. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that swore their fathers to give them. You see, this is God's calling us to feel something or do something, and then he's providing the facts of why we should do that. For I'm with you, for you will succeed. For, you should circle, every time you see the word for in the Bible, it's explaining something to you. And here he's explaining, I'm telling you, be strong and courageous. One, because I'm with you. Man, how could we not have courage if God's with us? If Jesus is the one who has all authority, how could we not have courage? And so this is the great hope. God never calls us to do anything apart from him. No matter how difficult the obedience is he's asking you to do, he will never ask you to do it by yourself. John 15, we say it all the time, apart from Christ, we can do two things. What are they? Jack and squat, right? We can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from Christ. But I'm, I'm not most comforted by the fact of knowing I can't do anything. I'm most comforted by the fact of knowing he's never asking me to do anything without him. He's not asking me to do anything without him. And so God's assignments come with the promise of his presence. Go make disciples, and I'm with you, even to the end of the age. Do you think God would uh, leave Joshua high and dry? <laughs> I love that God doesn't say to Joshua, Hey, buddy, you got some tough people there, huh? I need you to uh, go take on some armies and cross the river and, and lead a bunch of grumblers, and good luck. All right? That would stink. That would completely stink. It would stink if he said to us, Hey, Go make disciples of all nations. Good luck with that. I'll be rooting for you real hard. We're doomed to fail. We love ease and comfort and safe. We're too prone to fear. We're too prone to the approval of man. Without his presence, there would be no hope in any of these commands. 
but he doesn't leave us high and dry. Courage doesn't mean that we're not afraid at times. It means that I fear God more than I fear my environment. That he's with me and he's greater than all of them. In case you haven't studied the book of Joshua in a while, I've listed for you what are some things that God did for them. Uh, in chapter 2, he melts the hearts of Israel's enemies. In chapter 2, he gives them all the land into their hands. In chapter 3, he's going to do wonders among you. In 3 and 4, he provides a dry path through the Jordan River. River. Remember that? He, you don't even need a bridge. You've got God. I'm going to take care of it. I'll just dry up the river. You walk on the cross. All right. Okay. He sent the commander of his own army to lead the way. Now, that's something. All right. He sends the captain of the Lord of hosts. Man, uh, the captain of the host. What an incredible picture. In chapter 6, God knocks down walls with trumpet blasts and shouts. Now, Granddaddy went to West Point. I don't know if that was a, a strategy they taught at West Point. When you go to war, bring trumpets and yell. Watch what happens. You get shot. That's what happens, right? Unless you're God and, and you, you have God on your side. He knocks down walls with trumpet blasts and shouts. In chapter 10, he hurls down hailstones from heaven. You see, the, those who lived in Canaan didn't have Matlabon. They didn't know it was coming. Didn't warn them days ahead that big hailstones were coming, right? In chapter 10, God does something else unique. He causes the sun to stand still. I've prayed for that often when I was studying for tests the night before. Or trying to finish an assignment. God, you've done it once before. Could you do it again? I need 30 more minutes to finish this paragraph. Right? But he causes the sun to stand still. Chapter 10, he fights for Israel. In chapter 23, he's the one who's responsible for the conquest. And then all of it. Chapter 4 tells you why. It is so that, the, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The hope of Israel wasn't in their own ability to defeat their enemies or to capture them. Their hope was in the power of God to fulfill his promise to them. Uh, an orphan nation had no hope of overcoming the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites, and inevitable mosquito bites. Unless God sovereignly defeated them for Israel on their behalf, and that's exactly what he promised. When God tells Joshua here in our text, in verse 5, I will not leave you or forsake you, our English just kind of sums that up. But technically, it means something more like this. I will never, no, not ever, no, never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. I don't know why they didn't write that. I would prefer that better. It communicates the essence of it. And so what we can count on, Alan Lockerman has written this from, based on Joshua 1. You're never alone in your stress. You're never alone in your fear. You're never alone in your sin. You're never alone in your failure or your suffering or your sorrow. Psalm 56.3, I learned as a small child, what time I'm afraid I'll trust in thee. What I would add is because you're with me. You're with me. So when we know God is with us, courage is fueled. Obedience is fueled that we move forward, right? So it's knowing the plan and it's the success that's there. It's knowing his presence. And then the third aspect that fuels courage in us is the courage is fueled as we trust God's promises. He says this in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand and to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So we're called to meditate upon the word, to proclaim the word. Don't let it depart from your mouth, and to do all that's written in it. So therefore, Joshua's success wasn't just physical, hey, you're going to beat him up. It was primarily spiritual. I'm with you, and here's my word. Walk in my word. God didn't give Joshua battle plans. He gave him his words of life. Just what we sang right before this. Where else will we go, Lord? You alone have the words of life. And that's what he's giving. And so what is required of Joshua is still required of us. In God's power, know the word and do it. In God's power, know the word and do it. Do all the law. Don't depart from it. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it. And you will have good success. You will make your way prosperous. Here's the way I like to always remember these are the very good words of our very good king. These are the very good words of our very good king. Know them. Walk in them. The keys to safety and prosperity are found in the precious words of our God. Our hearts are prone to trust in other gods, 
to try and manufacture protection and success on our own. But God is calling Israel and us to seek and obey him and his word, knowing that he is all wise, all loving, always faithful. He knows what's best for us. He really does. And he wants to lead, our, lead us into life if we're willing to look and look and look at his book day and night. Be careful to walk in it. So let me just ask, how intimately do you study the word? Are you passionately living his word? Are you memorizing the word? Are you considering it day and night? Is it departing from you or are you proclaiming that word? Are you turning from the left to right? Think that you can find more success or more safety somewhere besides God and his ways and in his path. No, when we become convinced of his promises, we become convinced God knows what's best. Every do and every do not from God are for our best. Every do and every do not are for our best. And so I hope that we will be those who are careful to do what he says, to know his word and to follow it and not to depart from it. So as we consider his plan and his presence and his promises, the question is, how could we not be courageous? Why would we not obey? Why is it that we would choose fear and dis disobedience? I need to now come to the part of the sermon that I can confess to you a couple things. Number one, I hate snakes. Number two, the more important confession, I'm actually afraid of snakes. They scare me. They always have. Since my friends coiled up a dead water moccasin in the floorboard of my truck, I hate snakes. Uh, I always walk around snake aware. My boy Matt Lobhan's always weather aware. I am always snake aware. I scan our yard. I stand in our kitchen and I drink water in the morning. I look in the backyard and I just look for grass that's doing this. I just do. I walk to the mailbox and I'm kind of like, I'm snake aware all the time. I'm scanning piles of sticks and leaves because you know they're there. Uh, earlier in the week, I had an opportunity to mow our backyard. And when I got to the end of the stone, bath, uh, stone path that leads to our backyard, I stopped to get everything set for the mower. And in the next second, however, I became very snake aware. Just off to my right was a big black snake, uh, closer to, to me than this basket is. All right? And I just wrote these down for you. Here's my thought pattern that occurred. That's a snake. That's a big snake. Is it poisonous? Look at its head. Does it really matter what its head looks like? It's a snake and it's a big snake. Is there a chance it could bite the kids or our dogs? Well, which dog would I want bit? I got distracted, right? Maybe Nene, the immortal dog who eats and just uses the bathroom. Those are her two purposes in life right now. She thinks because she's 15, she can do what she wants. Maybe Nene. The next thought was, okay, I'm going to kill it. How am I going to kill it? I got the push mower. Then I literally thought, is that going to turn out well? Do it, do it. Your kids are counting on you. Go fast. So I turned the push mower. I aimed and I went for it. But I didn't want to step too close. So as I maxed out my reach, which isn't far, you know, I was like, are these Smurf arms? What is this? And the mower kind of came up, you know, because I maxed it out. And then I did. I saw part of the snake flying off to the side. And in sheer panic, I just went everywhere. This kind of move, like I was doing the old school cabbage patch, but with a lawnmower, I was doing it everywhere. I pulled back, ran over all of the wherever I could see in case he was, he was, there was any portion of him. And then this is where you need to know, I have a bag connected to my mower. And so all I could think about is when I disconnect this bag, that snakehead's going to be right there at the top. He's going to get me, right? So here's what I did. I decided to lay. I literally mowed every bit of grass I could till that bag was like. <laughs> and when I could delay it no more, I lifted the cover to unhook the bag. I was certain it was going to sneak out. I prayed and asked God for courage and went for it. And when I did, there was no sign of the snake. It's just a bunch of grass, right? So I, I dumped the grass, reconnected the bag, and continued to mow. But as I was mowing, I noticed no grass is coming in the bag, which means something is blocking my chute. I was like, God, please. Where's Tara? What's Mitch's number? So I stopped the mower. I slowly unhooked the bag. I wish I could tell you I Steve Irwin did with my hand. I'm just not that brave. I got a big old stick. And I decided I was going to grab the stick. And sure enough, when I started reaching in, guess what shot out of that chute? A snake shot out of that chute, but I grabbed it because I knew what Mark 16, 18 said. 
so I knew I'd be okay, right? I'm just kidding. The snake did come out of the chute. He was blocking the chute, but he came out in pieces because that sucker had been vanquished. <laughs> so I share all that for a couple reasons. One, if you see a snake, lawnmowers work, push mowers, good option, right? <laughs> Two, I don't want you to miss, I am afraid of snakes. But in that moment, my decision was based on this. God has given me responsibilities to protect my family. And so therefore, it ultimately fueled my action of, I got to do this. You got to do it. And I did pray. It was courage for an assignment. It wasn't just courage to be courageous. It was courage of, God has given me responsibilities to protect my family. And that's what I want you to see as we close today. In the end, courage is faith. And so is fearlessness. It's faith. Joshua 1 is a call to faith in the promised strength of God. That's what it is. And this strength was purchased for us by Jesus. Don't miss this. There's only one way this strength comes to us. Though we deserve nothing but destruction, this blessing of God strengthening us comes from Jesus. And then the question is, well, what's the end game? So if Joshua is courageous, what's the end game? Well, God's already answered that in chapter in Joshua, but I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you and I choose to obey God and stop being afraid, stop disobeying in fear, what, what is the end game or the goal of this? I want you to turn to 1 Peter 4. And beginning in verse 11, this is what Peter writes. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Now watch this this phrase, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And that's, that's the point. When we live in the strength that God supplies and are free from fear and full of courage in our day, it's God that gets the glory for that. God gets no glory when we choose fear and disobedience and run away. But when he's the one who strengthens us, there's no doubt who gave you the strength to share that gospel word. God did. Who gave you the strength to put away that sin? Certainly when you, you kept going to it over and over. It was God who gave you the strength to put away that sin. And he gets the glory for it. No, no greater courage has ever been seen than through Jesus. We saw that last week. And no one has ever had a more difficult assignment than Jesus had in going to be our sin bearer. And though he was abandoned by everyone else, I love that he says, go make disciples and I'll never leave you alone. I will be with you. I won't abandon you. I will give you all the courage that you need. Did you know that with one exception, every time the words take courage appear in the New Testament, they come from the lips of Jesus? Maybe you haven't done a search in a while. In Matthew 9, he tells the paralyzed man, take courage your sins are forgiven. He tells the suffering woman who touched his garment, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. He tells the scared disciples who see him walking on water, take courage in his eye, don't be afraid. And after Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, and he didn't know how his future would turn out, the Lord appears to him in Acts 23 and says, take courage, for as you've solemnly witnessed to my calls at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Four times, take courage, take courage, take courage, take courage, but not in self, in Savior. Take courage in Savior. Take courage in who He is and that He is with us and all that He's done and doing for us. This is what we take courage in. So we want to give you a chance to respond this morning. Mitchell, come and lead us in some songs of truth. And the question becomes, what are we going to choose? Will we believe the Lord and courageously obey all he commands? I'm happy to report to you that Joshua chose to believe, and we'll see the rest of his story next week. But what will we choose this week and every week? If you know the Lord's been calling you to do something, but you've been fearful and disobedient, will you confess that and repent of it today and ask the Lord to strengthen you today? His plans, presence, and promises are no more true for Joshua than they are for us. They're still in effect. He's still with us, still promising to go with us and to be with us. If you've been doubting or disbelieving the Lord, would you confess this and ask him to fuel your faith? And that maybe, maybe there's something that you want to pray with an elder about of just 
you've lacked courage to do what it is you believe the Lord's been asking you to do, I want to give you an opportunity to pray with him. I know last week we, we called our elders forward. I want to do it again this week just to give you an opportunity. Maybe there's something you want to pray with them. Ask them to pray with you that you would believe God and have courage to follow through on what he's been laying on your heart, what he said in his word. We want to just give you that opportunity today to pray with him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a, a chance to consider Joshua 1. We see Moses in his decision, and I'm certain there have been times that your plan has not stopped, but our opportunity to participate in what you were doing in those moments was lost because of disobedience, because of disbelief. And I'm sorry for those moments. I thank you that if we confess our disbelief and disobedience, you do cleanse us. But I also thank you that sometimes you leave us in the circumstances to remind us of how foolish sin is and we should run to you. You have every right to make decisions and you are accomplishing your plan. Thank you that you want us to be a part of that. I pray that your plan, your promises, your presence, that they would fuel courage and strength. You're not asking us to rev it up in ourselves. Who has that? None of us. But courage for something. Courage for responsibilities as your children. To obey your good word. And that you will be with us. And that you've given us your word. Which are the words of life. So if we've been disbelieving, disobeying, doubting. Or if we've just plain out been running. And in fear. Would you move us to take courage in Jesus. And to obey take courage in Jesus to put away sin to take courage in what you've laid on our hearts and when we do so may it not just be for our good and for the good of whomever we're ministering to you, but may it clearly be for your glory you and you alone have given us what we need to finally and fully obey it's in your name we pray I invite you to stand as these guys lead us in songs of response. Maybe you want to pray with, with one of these elders.